0: Welcome back to another edition of the Buckeye Talk podcast. Here with I don't know how to open anything. <laughs> <laughs> I did my best. <laughs> uh, that's definitely how you
2: don't
1: do it. Oh, that was
0: it, Doug. Rate it for me.
1: That was pretty good. I thought. I thought. I think you could grow into that. I think. I think that people like that. We'll put up a Twitter poll about that later. That was Ari Wasserman's intro to the Bill Landis rental car version of Buckeye Talk, as we sit outside our McDonald's. Uh, second office here in Columbus. Um, Bill's getting ready to go to basketball interviews and he's going to go to the Big Ten tournament. And this is the only place we had time to go to. Sorry we didn't make it to your apartment this time, Ari.
2: Kicking it live in a Mazda 6. I'm feeling pretty good
0: about my uh, location. I'm in the back seat, of course, because if you know anything about the way the Ohio State beat works, it's the two men in the front and the little boy in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and it is steamy
1: already. We already, people are going to wonder what we're doing in this car and we're going to tell them. We're doing Buckeye Talk.
2: We're making Buckeye Talk.
1: All right. We just got back from the first day of spring practice. We talked to Urban Meyer afterward. They let us watch the first hour of practice. So this version of Buckeye Talk will be the beginning of spring practice breakdown. Um, we're going to get to talk to Kevin Wilson, the new offensive coordinator, on Thursday. And and there's going to be a lot of interview opportunities during uh, spring football. So each week we'll, we'll be able to bring you guys um, sort of what we got new. But today... Uh, As we record this on a Tuesday, we just talked to Urban Meyer, and we'll break this down offense and defense sides of the ball. I don't think we'll bother with special teams because Cam Johnston is gone. And so what will we talk about, Bill, right?
2: They're just not going to punt the ball. Yeah. So get ready for a lot of going for it on fourth down. Um,
1: So let's start with offense because people like offense. And uh, a lot of questions about JT Barrett on Tuesday, understandably. Not a lot of substance to the answers necessarily, but for you guys, what is just from what we saw and what you think about Kevin Wilson and what you tried to decipher um, from Urban Meyer, how much better do they think JT Barrett has to get and how much better do they think they can help JT Barrett get with this new quarterbacks coach in Ryan Day and this new offensive coordinator in Kevin Wilson and maybe some more receivers to throw to who can go make a play?
2: Well, it struck me is that is they don't think that there needs to be a ton of improvement made on JT's part. And, like, we talked about on an earlier podcast, and I kind of came into the spring wondering, like, is this going to be a – not a total teardown because he's a fifth-year senior and he does some things well, but, like, how much of a teardown was this going to be of JT Barrett? How much do you completely revamp his mechanics? How do you help him throw the deep ball better? And it it didn't hit me that way. It hit me much more as Zerbermeyer thinking that the offense seems to be much better around him, um, protection, route running – Catching contested passes. I think the one thing he hit on and, and tried to, I think hit on kind of hard with JT was connecting on the deep ball and being more accurate with that. But this doesn't strike me as a reinvention of JT Barrett this spring. And I thought I thought it might have been that, but and maybe Evermeyer just won't say that even if it was. But I did not get that feeling today that that's what it was going to be.
0: I mean, that's basically it, right? Back seat. We now yeah. go to the back seat. <laughs> no, I mean, like it wasn't like usually. I did think that in the past, though, guys that he did kind of say, like, um, you know, JT's been around forever, he's won a million games, we're going to take it easy on him, and I didn't really get that impression. It does make it, He did. I did kind of feel, even though there wasn't a lot of substance in the answers, that he was going to be more involved than maybe we would have anticipated going into last spring. Yeah, uh, I, I think it, it... Well, I mean, last spring he was coming off of uh, um, a year where he was kind of the starter and was injured the previous spring. But I, I don't know. I, I felt like there was a more involved vibe than usual when it comes to players who have played as much as he does. Did you guys form an
1: opinion on how he looked at all throwing the ball, especially compared to Joe Burrow, who is working at number two? Then Dwayne Haskins and Tate Martell again. This is a very interesting quarterback room with those four guys in it. Tate Martell is among the early enrollees in this freshman class for spring ball. Did you get any vibe on how the quarterbacks looked in a couple minutes of early throwing?
0: Was
2: I thought co- there was some yeah, inaccuracy. I don't know. Well, it was t- Like be- the beginning of practice, they were uh, they were throwing to um, what's Urban Meyer's new son-in-law's name. Corey, Corey, Dennis. Dennis. Corey Dennis, who's a, a GA, um, and they were throwing to him at the start of practice. And it's hard to tell. Like They all kind of looked the same. There was no defense. It was just like, practice your drop slowly and get rid of the ball. So there was nothing crazy there. But I thought when they went basically 7-on-7, seven seven, and each quarterback seemed to get an equal amount of reps with the first team and second team receivers, there were still some inaccuracies, I think. Now, it's the first day of spring ball, so I don't think he put too much stock in that, but... I was wondering if we were going to show up the spring practice and I was going to see Dwayne Haskins and go, holy crap, that guy's as good as they were saying he was in, spring in, in the bowl practice, and how is he not going to start? And that didn't hit me today. That's not to say it won't hit me the next time you watch practice, but I thought that Dwayne Haskins looked like a redshirt freshman throwing out there. He had some inaccuracies as well, and I think overall they were they were fine, nothing great. I thought they were fine, nothing great. Um, it's really hard to tell because
0: no pads, first half hour of the first practice, um, but I didn't... Dwayne Haskins didn't look like Dan Marino out there, and that's what they kind of were saying he looked like. But I thought it was possible that he might. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And and
1: not that I guess Urban would have said it otherwise, but again, like, no vibe of, like, quarterback competition or anything. I mean, Urban, Mm -hmm. I guess, had kind of said it before, but, I mean, if you had any doubt, and we had talked about this, like, right after the loss to Clemson, right after the Fiesta Bowl, when people were wondering, will JT Barrett be back for sure and all, you know, He's the quarterback. JT Bears the quarterback. There is not a competition to see who the quarterback's going to be.
2: No, and Joe Burrow was two. He was, I mean, there were two guys in black non-contact jerseys. One was JT and one was Joe Burrow. Haskins was three and Martell was four. So it, there even seemed to be some delineation between Burrow and, and Haskins still at this point.
0: All right, let's talk receivers.
2: Wait, can I interrupt yeah. you before you go? Yeah, yeah.
0: The black, the black jersey thing, I feel like that's a big gap. Like, it's not so much of like, you know, we talked about how important the spring's going to be for the backup quarterback race, and is Dwayne Haskins going to be able to surpass Burrow, but I feel like putting the black jersey on one and making one full contact when the time comes, and I don't know if they'll still be not wearing black jerseys when it comes to the hitting portion of spring football, but don't you kind of feel like that is a line in the sand?
2: I do a little bit. Maybe we read too much into it, but as long as, in my mind, as long as Dwayne Haskins is wearing a red jersey, he's not going to be the number two quarterback, say, like if something were to happen in the game.
1: Right. Right. Again, black jerseys for people who maybe don't know what that means indicates non-contact on the quarterbacks, right? That yeah. When you're alive, don't hit them. And maybe it could be, just be one of those. I mean, Joe Burrow has been here an extra year. You know, maybe when they get to that point, they just want Dwayne Haskins to be live because he could still use it. Whereas, you know, once you get to sort of a veteran stage of a quarterback, they want to I mean, make they want to protect you more than they want you to get a live rep.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, receivers. Let's talk receivers. A lot of people out there, again, just like trying to sort of guess at the depth chart a little bit just by the way people lined up. To me, it looked like at one point Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin were like a first group, but then Austin Mack and Ben Victor, the true freshmen from last year who we thought might play more and really didn't, were right there with the second group. Jalen Harris and Trayvon Grimes, the two big receiver recruits in this class of 2017. They're two of the guys who aren't here. Mm -hmm. there are 10 guys who will only be here for the fall that's two of them um but you i think just by knowing this and just getting a little read on what urban meyer said today he said he mentioned trayvon grimes and jalen harris right didn't didn't he say them both by
2: name there are 11 guys coming in the fall
1: 11 guys coming in the fall okay there are 11 guys coming in the fall but he mentioned them both by name being excited about them It, it just feels like Even though the receivers are, a lot of the receivers are back. We know Noah Brown and Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel first in that order. The guys who caught the most passes last year, they're both gone. But Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, um, some of the KJ Hill, some of these other guys are back. Um, But that doesn't mean we're going to see the same receivers. It feels like Mac and Victor, and then when they get here, Grimes and Harris are going to get a crack at this. Did you get that vibe at all from Urban Meyer on day one? I think so. What about Bill, you? Do you Bill?
2: Disagree? No, I did. I, yeah, I, I did. Um, and I think I might have said this. We talked to receivers a while ago, and I said like on paper the starters might be McLaurin and and I guess Dixon if he's healthy, but I think or it, Campbell, right? Well, Campbell. The thing that was interesting for with, for me with Campbell was there was a point in the practice where the receivers were lined up in groups of three, and it was clearly two outside spots and a slot spot, and Campbell was with the slot group. And I think he's been more of an outside receiver yeah. over the last two years. And the guys in the slot were Campbell, uh, K.J. Hill, and Eric Lover-Williams. Ooh, Superman! Doug loves Superman. Um, so I thought that was an interesting move. If Paris Campbell's not going to be an outside guy, if he's going to be more of a slot guy, I think that might suit him a little better. If He's he's had so, much problem, or so many problems with dropping the ball, and I don't know how comfortable he feels as an outside receiver. If he's going to be a slot guy who they get the ball to quicker and, like, let him use some of those running back skills he brought with him from St. Vincent St. Mary. I think that could be an interesting thing, but the outside guys, I agree. But how's he going to beat out Superman? It's going to be tough to beat out Superman. I don't know. Eric Glover Williams
1: played defense the last two years, um, played right away as a true freshman on special teams, played defense last year. Um, now as a junior has been switched to offense and was just a dynamic guy with a ball in his hands in high school. Um, He's excited about that switch. I talked to him about that switch before it officially happened, you know, when we were out at the Fiesta Bowl. And I just think, I just think he could, I think he could be very interesting. And I think he could make that switch and become a real part of this offense right off the bat because he's a little smaller. Um, obviously, the other things you have to do at receiver, which mostly is blocking, maybe he won't be great at right away, but, um, I think maybe what people wanted Dontre Wilson to bring to the table the past couple of years, and unfortunately for Dontre, injuries sometimes kept him from being all he could be. I think Eric Glover-Williams might be the guy who can bring that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, Superman! Do we... Is this a, like, not a problem, but like we're talking about three guys in, in the slot receiver spot who we think are, all three are going to play. What, seven outside guys at least? Is this the too much talent discussion? Well... Timing is a thing, and I know you asked about this last year, Ari, but like it seemed to be an issue that JT never developed a rapport with the receivers last year because there were fifteen of them who were playing every game. And it sounds like that's gonna be the case again. Who I think mean, you
0: look at the when you look at the receivers specifically, you can toss all these different names out and Eric Glover Williams in the mix and stuff, but like I think we know who the four guys are gonna be in the mix, right? Overall. Overall. I think that it's safe to say that Paris Campbell is gonna be in the mix. I think Terry is gonna be in the mix.
2: KJ Hill is going to be in the mix. I don't but know Victor, about Johnny
0: Dixon. If he's healthy, he is. Um, I think, it, and then the other two of yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that he won't be, but I think it's those three guys who were in the mix last year, and Mac and Victor. And I think those are going to be the five main receivers come the fall. And I think you're going to see a lot of what we've seen in the past with freshmen. And I don't think that you should necessarily bank on Grimes or um, Jalen Harris being in the mix yet. Who are your five again? K.J. Hill, Paris Campbell, uh-huh. um, McLaurin. McLaurin, and the two, Mack and Victor. Victor and Mack. Those are my five main receiver options. I disagree. And here's why.
1: Who am I missing? No, it's but I sort of, with the general point, I think it's possible, um, and, and then we're going to move to this, this discussion next a little more in depth, it's the Ohio State offense, it's the Ohio State offense, but Kevin Wilson's going to have a big say in what goes on here. You don't got bring in a guy who's just been a head coach and have him come in and just sort of, he goes with the flow. He's going to shake things up a little bit, and the whole point is this offense needs some shaking up. And I think that's not just scheme, and that's not just design, and that's not just play calling. I think even though Kevin Wilson isn't the receiver's coach, I think it's possible that Kevin Wilson is going to be looking for the guys who can do what he wants receivers to do. And I don't know if he cares that Terry McLaurin and Paris Campbell and K.J. Hill played more last year than Ben Victor, Austin Mack, and Eric Glover-Williams did. So I think it's possible that the receiver depth chart right now, there is no depth chart. It's everybody's even. It's almost like I think on the offensive side of the ball, it almost might be like when you get a new head coach. Right, And so I personally, and maybe I'm wrong, but I am not assuming that anybody who played more last year and is a veteran and is older is automatically going to be in the mix this year because the whole point last year was nobody got open. So I don't necessarily think that for sure Terry McLaurin or for sure Paris Campbell or for sure K.J. Hill or anybody who's just a little bit older, I'm not assuming they're going to be in it.
2: I think it should be that way. But, I, I mean, we're talking about then a pretty decent-sized philosophical shift, I think, for Urban Meyer. I think he would prefer to have a steady rotation of guys. Because even last year, like, who, who among the group of eight or nine receivers, whatever it was, we were playing last year, like, truly demanded being on the field? Nobody broke out. He just kept playing them all. Right. So I'm saying, but what if Ben Victor breaks out? I don't know, but like, didn't, like Mike Thomas wasn't always on the field. No, he wasn't always, but he was. Wasn't he on it more? Maybe it's hard to remember. Maybe I mean he caught fifty something passes, which is double what any receivers caught last year outside of Curtis Samuel. And
1: Curtis Samuel was on the field more last year than anybody. He didn't split. He wasn't on the field every snap, but he didn't like just share slot with Dontre. That's true. He played more. So why did Curtis Samuel? So they rotated pretty evenly at the outside receivers, but they didn't rotate evenly at at h back. Why? Because the, f- the number one guy at H-back was really, 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 really good. So I think it's possible that somebody at the outside receiver or two guys could emerge as really, really, really good and we're not just running six through automatically just because that's a philosophical thing. And especially if Kevin Wilson comes in and says, why are you rotating all these guys? Ben Victor is unbelievable. Play him. Yeah. Now, you know, you got to show it. But... Um, that's sort of how yeah. I'm thinking of things, and maybe I'm wrong.
2: No, I think I agree with that. I think it. I think that's the way well that made, we. Yeah. I think that's the way that it
0: should go, and the way we've always thought it should go. They I couldn't just, throw last year.
2: Yeah. How can you come back and do the same thing? Well, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's that's the question. Of what they did it for two years, basically. But they
1: were particularly dysfunctional throwing last year. Yes, yes? for sure. Yes. What's your? Give me, give me your. Both of you, Er because Urban Meyer talked about it again today, and Urban Meyer talked about it on Tuesday in a way that seemed like to be trying to take some of it off JT,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right? He talked a lot about pass protection and some other things. What's your final analysis of why they could not throw it effectively last
2: year? Uh, The receivers, I think, could not get open enough to the point where JT Barrett was comfortable throwing the ball, and that puts the onus on a little bit of both of them, but I think I'd put it a little more on the receivers than I would on JT. Ari? From the I back think I would seat. put
0: more on receivers than JT as well.
2: Okay. So then how do you fix that? Get better
1: receivers. And if you get them, you play them, right? Yeah. You don't just play the same guys from
0: last year. Right. Okay. Right. And I, and I think that, yeah, we're talking in circles here, but I do think that their top two should be Victor and Mac. People like when we talk in circles, I think.
2: Yeah.
1: But you think, so,
0: okay, so let me ask Victor's again. Victor's the deep threat. Mac is the beautiful route runner who's quick and fast and has great hands. I mean on paper, from what you think your receiver should look like at Ohio State, those two seem to fit the bill to me in my head. Okay. Whether or not they can actually do it, I guess, is the is what has to be proven in practice, but those that on paper seems to me the the right fit.
1: So we're in agreement. The starting receiver should be Ben Victor, Austin Mack, and in the slot. Superman, Superman. Superman. Eric Lever Williams wore a Superman t shirt to Friday Night Lights. A couple years ago. I don't
0: know if I agree. The Superman part's a joke, Superman. right? Superman! Why is it a Superman? joke?
1: Just because he's so dynamic that you can't stop him? That's a joke to you?
0: I didn't know. Do you really think
1: he
2: should be the slot receiver? I think he could be. I think it's certainly it's up for grabs. I mean, K.J. Hill I thought was good in spurts last year, but yeah. if it's him and Paris Campbell who's had drop problems, and Superman.
0: Superman's been a receiver in practice for an hour.
2: Yeah, and he's already unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Um Two hours,
0: man.
1: (laughs) Okay, so what about this? I think we had talked about this before, and I sometimes can't remember what we say and what we write. DeMario McCall was working with the running backs Uh today. So the running backs were Mike Weber, obviously, who's the number one tailback. But DeMario McCall's in there. Uh, Antonio Williams is in there. And then I'm guessing J.K. Dobbins is in there. I don't know what number J.K. JK Dobbins is. He's number two. Um, Where's DeMario McCall fit? do you think DeMario McCall so he's at running back and then we had all this discussion and if you guys didn't read it you should go read it you know we wrote all these stories about Curtis Samuel what is he what is he what is he what is he and then we got to the NFL Combine last week and Bill Landis wrote another story. What's Curtis Samuel? You yeah. still don't know. So maybe that's a good thing. Maybe I don't know. But what's Demario McCall? How would you, how do you think he's going to fit into this offense? How big a role do you think he's going to play in this offense? And what do you think in the end they're going to decide to do with him? Because in flashes last year, he looked pretty interesting. And, again, this is a guy, a big recruit, um, who looks pretty dynamic with the ball in his hands.
2: I don't know. I, I think you're running into a little bit of the Samuel problem of where the guy's a natural tailback and you have questions about durability because of size, and McCall is, is even much smaller than Samuel. I mean, what's he listed on the roster number 30? one ninety five. Nine, 195. 195's not bad. Samuel's 196, but 59's is little. Samuel's like 5'10 Um But he's a natural running back. I don't know how much of a, of a receiver he is. Um, and I also don't know how to read, like, the portion of practice we saw him in, he was at the tailbacks, but it's very possible that as soon as he walked out of the building, he was lined up as a slot receiver. Right. So he could still be an in, in H back if you want to if, label him as that. Um, I think he might be a guy that you need to develop kind of packages for, if that makes sense. If he's if he's five foot nine and he can't run the ball fifteen times a game and he's not. A very natural receiver. He's going to take some time to develop there, but you still want to get the ball in his hands. I think he you might have to do some specialty packages to make sure DeMario McCall gets offensive touches that aren't when you're beating Maryland by 60 that, that happen when it counts. By the way, Superman is 5'9", 180. There you go.
1: Um, but, like,
0: when you're, but when you are have superpowers, that doesn't matter, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. So, so what, it was weird with Curtis Samuel because Curtis Samuel, in the end, <laughs> was an H-back except when he was the number one tailback. Because he was an H-back who every now and then would just get the first eight handoffs of a game. Like, for instance, against Clemson, when Mike Weber didn't touch the ball until the second quarter. Um, Do you think, did you like that? Like, the way they ended up using Samuel as, he's mostly an H-back, but then sometimes he gets some series at tailback, and sometimes early in the game. Was that good? Was that bad? Do you think they should or do you think you would want them to do that this year or are we going to see this year that Mike Weber is just the tailback and he's going to be the guy lined up at tailback on the first play and get the first carry and maybe somebody works in, but we're not going to see like we did against Clemson where Mike Weber, the the number one tailback,
0: 1,000-yard rusher, is not part of the game plan for the first 15 minutes. I would have liked to see what Curtis Samuel would have looked like had he been one of a few playmakers, I thought he was their only playmaker. Yeah. And I think that's probably what went into the way he was used. And sometimes, and we had gripes about the fact that he wasn't used enough, but I think there was also a a time where he was used too much because he was the only one to use. And that's what I think might be different or could be different about Demario McCall if some other guys develop. Did that answer your question at all? I don't know. I can't remember what it was.
2: I did not like... Coming out
0: was uh, oh right.
2: I yeah. didn't like coming out against Clemson and trying to establish Curtis Samuels or run threat early because he's not a guy. Like I don't, I don't think bring out the guy who stretches the field and runs horizontally first is the way you like establish a game plan. I think you need to come with a downhill runner, who's Mike Weber, or even like J.K. Dobbins or Antonio Williams, like whoever. It's obviously Weber; he's number one. But I think the more traditional running back who's going to hit a defense hard, make him defend the line of scrimmage, uh, is is a more sound game plan than coming out with this. Let's see if we can get Curtis Samuel to run wide on the first play and bust one. I don't think that's ever going to happen. So I don't think, I don't think you want to be relying on any H back or anyone who's not a true running back in the way that Mike Weber is to be the guy who establishes your game plan. So I did not like that. I would think they wouldn't do that. Now that's different than not getting the ball in Samuel's hands early. Like, if you want to run Mike Weber up the middle on first down and then throw a swing pass to Samuel on second down, I'm all about that. But I think Mike Weber, if he's the hammer running back, he should be the one touching the ball first. All
1: right, so let's assume that someone has told Kevin Wilson. Kevin Wilson says, hey, I like to listen to podcasts while I drive to work. What is the hottest Ohio State podcast out there? And obviously, if he asks that inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, um, people are going to say, you got to get on board with Buckeye Talk, Kev. So let's say Kevin Wilson is listening right now. And he is still getting to know personnel. What's up, Kevin? And is trying to figure things out. Give me the Bill and Ari. Kevin Wilson, here's how I think you should use DeMario McCall game plan. Because we saw DeMario in flashes last year. He's from Northeast Ohio. Our guy, Kev, needs some help. This guy seems like a good player. I don't know how to use him. What should I do? What do you think? And sound confident because Kev has this is his first time that Kev is listening to Buckeye talk. So to really fake it till you make it.
2: You know what I loved last year? And I think you love this too. I might have, you might have written about it. Tell me. I'm, I know what you Samuel say. and Weber in the backfield oh, together with wow. Mike Weber as the lead blocker was awesome. And yeah. they did it like four times and scored four touchdowns. Like that, like when he ran 73 yards against Penn State? Yeah. And then they didn't do it again and they lost? Yeah. Um, Demario McCall in a backfield with GT Barrett and Mike Weber. With Mike Weber as a lead blocker, JT Barrett as a decoy and an option, I'd run that 25 times a game and just give it like every three plays a different guy touches the ball. That's why I bone? would use Damari McCall. Yeah, the wishbone. <laughs> Wing T, baby.
1: So, how much do you guys want? So, last year before. What if they
2: came out and ran the wishbone?
1: What if that's like. Oh, by the way, you guys didn't know Kevin Wilson's a wishbone coach? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, last year before the season, I drew up like the here's the ideal Curtis Samuel game plan in my mind. So, what's your number of. Rushes, number of catches for Demario McCall. What's the ideal Demario McCall game plan? What, what Do you remember what it was for Samuel? I think it was 14 total, and it might have been like nine rushes and six catches. That's I, not 14.
2: Eight rushes and six catches, or nine and five maybe. I think I'd say more rushes. I think I'd say maybe 10 rushes and like... Three or four passes. So running back first. Running back first, only because I haven't seen him as a receiver, so I don't know how good he is. Okay, but as I what I know of him now, if I want to get him fourteen touches, I go ten rush, four pass.
0: Ari, I think six and four. Ten touches a game. Yeah. Okay. Six rush. Six rush. Four receptions. Ten touches a game. But
1: so you don't. So the fact that Demario McCall is working with the running backs, then that's what you like. That if he's sort of like Mm -hmm. he's the number two tailback first possible
2: slot. H-back option, second. I just think they try to get too cute with these guys sometimes. Like, Kurt, like if the thing that Demario McCall does best is run the ball, then do that more often than you try to throw him the ball. And I do think the best thing about that H
1: is line them up at H. And this is what they do all the time. Same personnel, different formation. Line yeah. them up at H. You think, okay, they're going three wide with the tight end and Weber in the backfield by himself. And then you motion him into the backfield, and now they're split around JT, and now you're going to hand it to him with Weber as a lead blocker. Again, not all the time, but as an option. But also, if you don't do that, then the guy still is a legitimate threat to catch the ball out of the slot. I like that. Yeah. Should we talk defense? I guess so. God, it's getting hot in here. I'm
0: honestly about to pass out. Yeah. I don't know, what do we do? Like, is- now.
2: now to take a
0: four-second uh, Buckeye Talk break so I can open up the window and not pass
1: out. I hope the readers appreciate what we do for them, the <laughs> listeners, I mean, because we we did not want to blow off this week's Buckeye Talk, and we had to squeeze this in because Landis is going to be gone at the Big Ten Tournament in D.C. Again, make sure you're reading all the basketball coverage. Ohio State opens uh, the Big Ten Tournament on Wednesday. What time? 7 o'clock. Okay. 7 o'clock in the p.m.? P.m.
0: Not
2: oh, yeah. oh, we're in p.m. They could play Ohio State Rutgers at 7 a.m., and I don't know if any of them would really care about it. But, yeah, they're playing at night. Okay. Defense.
1: Uh, Let's talk defense. Let's talk about first um, the move that we saw uh, on the first day of practice. And uh, this guy was clearly um, searching his name on Twitter because right after we got out of practice, he was retweeting everybody who talked about his move. So that means he's excited about the move. Chris Worley has a new position. And again, I'm sure Chris Worley listens. What's up, Chris?
0: Congratulations on your move. What do you guys think? What's a congratulatory? Why is that a congratulations?
1: Because I think he's playing a position he wants to play. To he enough, seems bro. excited about it. He seems excited about it. That's why <laughs> I feel good for Chris Worley, who I think we all were impressed with how he played last year. We weren't sure he going to be an every-down guy. Uh, was absolutely an every-down guy. Was absolutely a vital part of that defense. Um, and absolutely. Who wrote the story from the Fiesta Bowl? I did. Tell us about that story and why, why you think maybe that story makes sense fitting into him moving to middle linebacker.
2: I think he's just ready to step, like, he was he was a leader last year, um, but I, I think he wants more uh, in terms of that responsibility, and like, I asked him, are you coming back next year, and like, he looked at me like I was a moron, like, of course I'm coming back this year, I have to come back this year, they need me on the defense. I was like, oh, okay. But I was just very impressed with like, sort of the way he, he was handling himself, he was still in his uniform 40 minutes after the game, like, covered in dirt, and everyone else was showering and leaving. And he sat there and answered a lot of questions that weren't so easy to answer. And he just, like, he was like, I'm Chris Worley. I'm the leader of the defense 2017. It's my team.
1: So that makes sense at middle linebacker then, right? For sure, yeah. There's I mean, a lot of,
2: like, like the way the Rayquan McMillan often spoke last year, That's I got that vibe from Worley talking to Winter Fiesta Bowl.
1: So Chris Worley is listed as 6'2", 230 pounds, and the thing that Urban Meyer said was, you know, we have to see if he can hold up in there. Because there are some different responsibilities in the run game. Um, they clearly aren't relying on you as much to be a cover guy. Um, you're in there at the heart filling those, plugging those holes on the interior runs and stuff. That's a, a responsibility that's a little bit different than getting out where most of your tackles are going to be pursuit tackles in space, sideline to sideline. Um, you're going to be squaring up and hitting guys more in the hole when you're playing this middle linebacker role. Do we have any question questions about Chris Worley when it comes to that? Because certainly I think when, when we looked at Dante Booker, who was scheduled um, to play on the outside last year, but that's because Raekwon was here. I think we thought he would be the guy that would move inside. Dante Booker is listed at 6'3", 240 which is which how big Raekwon is, which is how big Raekwon is, and which is a, a a solid ten pounds more than Chris Worley. And I'm not so sure that in the end, if he wouldn't be even more than ten pounds heavier than Chris Worley. I think we, that's more. I think
2: last year he was listed at like two thirty four or something like that too. So he's put on some weight. Okay. Do we do we have any doubts about Chris Worley's ability to hang? Hanging in in there?
0: I thought it was interesting that Urban Meyer said that that was their number one concern with him, right? Mm
2: -hmm. So, Yeah, I think the one thing that's interesting about it is if the defensive line... I thought the defensive line was, was much improved last year, and all those guys are back. So if they can be even better this year, especially up the middle with the defensive tackle depth they seem to be developing... If that can take some of that run plugging onus off of Chris Worley, where he's like, even if he were undersized, he's not as much of a liability there. But then also, you get his coverage ability, yeah, that's middle true. linebacker. That might be a pretty good situation for Ohio State, because I thought the, the the one the few times that raquel McMillan did get exposed last year was when he got a mismatch in the passing game. And if Worley's probably at least a little faster, I don't know if he's more athletic, but he's certainly faster than, than McMillan was. And I like him there as a cover guy.
1: Because uh, talking with raquel McMillan in some of these years when he had so many tackles, your huge tackle games, you're just catching running backs. Right. You know, like, it's just like, you know, I'm there, they're coming through. So you got to catch them. And they're coming through
2: because the defensive line wasn't good enough to stop them.
1: So um, the one thing is, and this is just speculation, but I don't think you're going to put a young – you're not. You're not going to put a young guy at middle linebacker, okay? Um, Raekwon – McMillan sharing time at middle linebacker in 2014 with Curtis Grant I think was an exception to the rule that you're not really going to plan on very much so to me when we were guessing that Dante Booker was going to be the middle linebacker and Jerome Baker and Chris Worley were going to be the outside linebackers then you thought well the way Baker and Worley played last year, they're not going anywhere for sure. Yeah. They're definitely two starting linebackers who are going to be on the field basically all the time, right? So the question mark with Dante Booker, and, and again, fair or not, the only reason that's a question mark is because Dante Booker, who waited his turn and won the start, won a starting job in camp, got hurt right away and missed all last year. Okay, So maybe Dante Booker's not going anywhere either, but he just didn't play last year because he was hurt. Okay. Now that you move Worley inside, and if you assume Worley and Baker are the two guys who are going to play for sure, and you just don't know about Booker just because he hasn't played, that at least cracks the door to me on young linebacker playing time. Because now the spot where they would be trying to find time is not trying to compete with Worley or Baker on the outside, right? Because if a guy like Baron Browning is going to play, that's where it would be position-wise, now, he was,
2: Browning was in the middle,
1: I know, but uh, do you know what I'm saying? Do you I do, think this do. cracks the door on people competing with Dante Booker at an out outside linebacker spot? And maybe if maybe we could see some guys again, maybe in a rotation or something, that would have been a little less likely if they hadn't made this move.
2: Yeah, I guess I buy that. If if you th- if there's any questions of durability with Dante Booker or if he if he lost something last year and not playing for a year, then yeah, I guess that makes sense to me. I I don't think I am so and I don't maybe you're not anti freshman playing middle linebacker, but if you are, I'm I'm really not, because I saw how good Raquel McMillan was. And this is just something players say, but I asked Rayquan McMillan at the combine about Baron Browning, and he said, Oh yeah, Baron Browning's better than I was, like without hesitation. Oh really? Raekwon McMillan was good as a freshman and he said Baron Browning is better than he was coming in. Rayquan was a five star. Right. I mean, who so was Browning. So so Browning. That's what I
1: mean, but it's not like Raquan McMillan wasn't under the radar Darren Lee guy who had to adjust. Raquan McMillan was a huge recruit who was a co starter on a national championship team, and he's saying Barron Browning is better than him.
2: Yeah, I just I think it takes a, a special kind of player to step in as a freshman and be middle linebacker. McMillan was that, and I think Browning is that. So if that happened, I wouldn't be surprised.
1: So who were the backup linebackers? Who were the second team linebackers? The second
2: team linebackers, it was. It was hard to tell because there was some rotation going on, I think, but what I saw or could at least make out was Keandre Jones outside, Justin Hilliard in the middle with the second team, and Nick Connor was on the outside too. And then the other, uh, the team behind that was where Browning was, and I couldn't make out who the other outside linebackers were. It was Malik Harrison and I think Tuff Borland. Okay. But I'm not 100% sure. But, but Hilliard was definitely number two middle linebacker.
1: So, again, Nick Connor and Justin Hilliard are third-year guys. They came in with Jerome Baker. But Connor and Hilliard have both had injury histories. Mm-hmm. And Keandre Jones is a second-year guy uh, who was a huge recruit out of Maryland. They really are – this is interesting. Ari brought this up about um, talking about guys who are multi-position guys when they come out of high school and you don't know where they're going to be. And this is related to Brendan White right now, but Urban Meyer said one of the reasons Brendan White is playing receiver right now instead of linebacker is because they are stacked at linebacker, aren't they?
2: Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. Stacked. Cool. Stacked. Yeah. Stacked. All right, that's it for Buckeye Talk. I have a question about linebacker because uh, because Urban Meyer went through the starting linebackers. He said he said Whirly is in the middle, and then he said. Jerome Baker was at the Will, and Dante Booker was at the Sam. And I don't understand Will and Sam, but I understand that as Sam is Darren Lee, and Will is Josh Perry, right? Okay, do we want me who knows nothing about
1: football to try to explain this a little bit? Yeah. Okay, back in the day, okay, Will so Will is weak side, Sam is strong side. Yes. It used to be that strong side was the guy like where the tight end was. Right? Huh? And so then you either had responsibility on the tight end for coverage or you were sort of dealing with another blocker on that side in the run game. So it was sort of like maybe that was a bigger linebacker on the strong side. And the weak side to me was the run and chase linebacker, the free, the guy who's going to be a little more free, has one less blocker on his side and just runs around like a maniac, like, like Ryan Shazier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but now, today, strong side means it's not a tight end there, it's a slot receiver. So, if you are in base defense, you now have to have the linebacker on that side who can cover a slot. So, Darren Lee was the Sam linebacker, even though in the past I think he would have been a Will, but he was a Sam because that meant slot coverage, okay? Yeah, no. So, to uh, me, Jerome Baker was the Darren Lee kind of guy, right? That he was on the strong side and had slot coverage responsibility. Yeah. So now in now it's sort of like the smaller cover linebacker is the Sam and the other guy's the will. So the end result of that is I agree with you that I was a little surprised that he said Jerome Baker's the will and Dante Booker's the Sam, because now Dante Booker's gonna cover slots, unless that means the other thing then is whenever there's three receivers on the field, your Sam linebacker is not in the game. Your sign linebacker nickel. comes off the field, and you go nickel. So, yeah. and then maybe the will is the guy who stays on the field all the time.
2: I was just going to ask if you thought he misspoke because Booker and Baker are similar last names, and maybe he just got it wrong.
1: And candlestick maker. Yeah. So now Chris Worley's nickname is candlestick maker because last year I was going to try to make Raquan McMillan's nickname be candlestick maker if he trade with played with Booker and Baker, but now clearly those might be the three starting linebackers. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Chris Candlestick Maker. There you go. Is that going to stick? You I'm think? Sure I we'll love that nickname. No, Booker <laughs> Baker and Candlestick Maker. Nope. No, I don't get that at all. It's a. It's from a nursery rhyme. It's a children's
2: nursery. It's now. the
1: butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. But Booker sounds close enough to butcher. Yeah. And then Baker's there, and plus the candlestick oh. maker sounds like a badass nickname to me. Like, oh man, no, no. Like you hit a guy and you turn, you turn him into a candlestick.
2: You say you just got waxed after you hit him. Yes.
1: <laughs> oh, the candlestick maker at work again. He just
0: waxed that guy. Come on, I'm going to give it up to Paul Keels. But the wax is the candle, not the candlestick. Candle, this candle. What do you? The can- well, the candlestick. The is candlestick is the, candle. the thing that holds the wick yeah oh. Well, oh candlestick it's not a candlestick
1: holder
2: okay sorry he's the candlestick confused. maker who
0: makes
1: That's candlesticks
2: you guys
0: live living
1: the dream <laughs> yeah can someone go get like 10 ice cream cones like for us that. Ari, I have the flu and
0: I'm
1: back here and I to pass <laughs> out. I'm doing my best to hold, to hold on. This is a, a slightly less Ari Washerman in this podcast because Ari's I'm just, just like, I'm, I'm going to
0: level with you guys. I'm not feeling too hot right now.
1: It keeps leaning back and just like, yeah, you look like you're going to pass out. All right. That's, that's open, from, the door,
0: open the door back there. This I'm might try to get over the flu and then. Uh, 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 good luck. Have fun driving to DC with all these germs in the car. But don't you want to steam out sickness? That yeah. I don't know. We're steaming it out. Fits. That's the one thing. I, I do have a problem. I don't have a bathtub in my apartment and I'm really feeling it this week. Well, it's like a freaking bathtub in here.
1: <laughs> All right. Let's go to the secondary real quick because they're replacing three guys that we just saw at the a Combine. Can we just combine.
2: not even talk defensive line because it's boring? Everyone, everyone's, yeah.
1: everyone's back. Yeah, the defensive line is stacked and back. Boom, nailed it. Secondary. Um, Urban Meyer was asked, do they want to keep rotating like a three-man rotation at corner? The rotation that I challenged Kerry Combs on last year told him I didn't believe it was going to happen. Then they did it. And Carrie uh, Combs Kerry Combs was right, and I was wrong. They played three corners on two spots, and it really is becoming clear. Urban Meyer even, I don't know, crystallized a little bit for me today, the way Urban Meyer said it, that we ask these corners just to do a four-hour track meet out there, that you are just doing press-man coverage up and down the field on these guys all the time, that they are not ever sort of just dropping in a zone and then passing a guy off. like You are chasing a receiver all over the field every play. And so that is a kind of, there's a physical exertion there that even if you're Marshawn Lattimore or Gary On Connolly and you're going to be a first-round pick, you're going to get tired. And when you get tired, Denzel Ward is better than you because you're tired and he's not. So Urban Meyer said that's something that it, it's not just that it fit last year that they had three really good corners. It's now a philosophical thing
2: that they have. Do you think they'll be able to do it? Will they be able to come up with three corners who can do that? I do. I think well Denzel Ward is, is a given. I think he started last year. He was in the third he was one of the guys on the rotation. Um I think they're they're high on Damon Arnett, who was like the nickel and, and played some he was like some games they even went to four ro- corners rotating and when they did that Arnett was the fourth guy. And then it's who's the third, and they have Kendall Sheffield who's a Juco guy who should be ready to start now, Jeffrey Okuda. He's a five-star freshman. Sean Wade is a five-star freshman. Rajay Burns, who was working in the second-team secondary when we watched practice on Tuesday, is a true sophomore who played, I think, in one game last year. So I think out of that group, they can find a third. So I think, I mean, maybe it'll even expand to three or four or five corners this year. I don't know. Five-corner rotation, huh? Five-corner rotation. Wow. That's Why not, not? going to happen. Maybe not. Maybe not. But Akuda... they could have the bodies to do it, but I guess maybe you wouldn't do it.
0: Akuda, the guy that we
1: wrote a lot... Who I said, uh, Jeffrey Akuda, their highest-ranked guy in this class, top-ten recruit in the country from Texas, who I said should start as a true freshman. He was with the third team, right, from the first day?
2: He was... Yeah, yes and no. Um, he was doing some second-team stuff. like Him and Rajay Burns were kind of rotating a little bit. Okay. Well, that's not unusual for a
1: guy going through his first college practice. Right. But they have some very interesting guys at corner here, like you said, with Sheffield, Okuda, and Sean Wade. Um, what do we think is going to happen at safety? Damon Webb is back, but who was running in the other spot in that was uh, occupied by Malik Hooker a year ago, who looks like our other
2: starting safety? It was Eric Smith uh, who was on the first team which I was like surprised and not surprised because if you told me to guess who I thought it would be coming into Tuesday morning, I probably would have said Jordan Fuller. And it wasn't him. It was Smith with the ones and Fuller and uh, Jacen Wint were with the twos at safety. Um, So Smith, who's battled injuries and was sort of a special teams guy last year, um, is in that Malik Hooker spot, which is interesting because I don't know if he has, I mean, who has the athletic ability of Malik Hooker? The guy was a freak. He's going to be a top five draft pick. But he doesn't strike me as a similar style of player than that Hooker was. So it'll be, I think, interesting to see if he can hold off Jordan Fuller or anybody else in that spot.
1: It's hard, and, and, and I'm trying to figure out how to say this. There are just guys sometimes who who just think are really good football players who then, and it's when both these things happen that I really sort of, I don't know, I almost want to say a feel for a guy. But you end up saying, man, that guy, ugh. they get stuck behind a superstar And they face injuries, right? And so that's what I sort of felt like was Dante Booker's situation a year ago. I picked Dante Booker before last season to lead the team in tackles because I felt like here's Dante Booker. Um, He had played special teams his first two years, had done everything right, probably would have been ready to start earlier. It's just they didn't need him because they were set at linebacker. Then when he got his shot – He got hurt and was out the whole year, right? So now here Dante Booker comes back, and it's like Dante Booker is now in his fourth year at Ohio State and still to me has never done anything wrong. He hasn't done anything other than do everything they wanted him to do. He just was either blocked or hurt. Eric Smith falls into that category for me. Eric Smith and Marshawn Lattimore came in together. Marshawn Lattimore is now going to be a top ten pick in the NFL draft, and Eric Smith hasn't played yet. Um, And what has Eric Smith done wrong? Well, Eric Smith's been hurt. He had an ACL, right? He's had... Injury issues, and then, by the way, right when he thought he might get a chance to start, Malik Hooker came along and started last year. Um, after Tyvis Powell and Von Bell left, you thought, oh, maybe there's some jobs up for grabs, and then Damon Webb and Malik Hooker took those jobs. So it, he's obviously getting it. You know, whoever starts is going to start. But Eric Smith seems like a guy to me. Yeah, Jordan Fuller's coming, and I wrote about Jordan Fuller through Fiesta Bowl. He looks like the guy who's going to be the next really good safety there. But Eric Smith starting. Makes absolute sense, because why wouldn't he? I mean, I think again, Eric Smart and, and the guy said it last year. Eric Smith could have started last year. It's just Malik Hooker was here. Yep. You
0: like Eric Smith, Ari? Are you okay? I'm not feeling well. Um, I'm sorry. Um, I thought Eric Smith was going to be better than Marshawn Lattimore when he was ranked higher, wasn't he? I don't know if he was. I think Marshawn was ranked higher, but I okay. think um, I don't know anything. I like the way that he played the safety position. It's just a matter of whether or not his body type is exactly the way that they want cuz he's nothing like Malik Hooker from what I understand.
2: He's he strikes me as more of like a lay the boom kind of safety than a Right. And I think that like I just remember yards. when he
0: was at the US Army game, people were talking about how he was hitting and kind of was like an enforcer at safety, but I don't know if his coverage skills were completely up up to snuff when it comes to just being athletic enough to keep up with some of these fast rangy receivers. So I don't know what that means for free safety, strong safety, because I don't know anything about football, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think that he is necessarily the plug-and-play type of replacement for Malik Hooker that you think.
1: Okay, let me break down some football for you. So, the way their defense works now, the one of their safety spots, they call it the Falcon spot, and that Falcon safety spot is, and I guess they probably call it because it's F. Yeah. That's all these things. It's just a, it's just like initials. falcon point. and seagull.
2: <laughs> you said seagull? Seagull. Like a seagull? Seagull. Is
1: that a far off your pronunciation of a seagull. seagull? Yeah, it's like...
2: Seagull? It's like S-E-A-G-L-A, yeah. Seagull. Okay.
0: Seagull. It's also a Jewish It's an, deli- eagle. Yeah. It's an eagle from the
2: ocean.
1: <laughs> all right, so that falcon Gilbert. spot... There's a spot at safety where you have to cover like a corner. You have to cover like a corner because there are going to be situations where you're locked up in coverage, right? So two years ago, that was the Von Bell spot, right? That's what Damon Webb plays. And that's where Jordan Fuller, when I talked to him, that's where he projects. He's more of a coverage guy. So then the other safety spot, the way Malik Hooker played it, he was the opposite safety spot. He wasn't asked. Because we saw Damon Webb a lot, right, last Mm -hmm. year. Sometimes... You'd be locked up in coverage and Damon Webb would be like, oh, who got beat on that play? And it would be Damon Webb and it's like, well, it's because they didn't beat Marshawn Lattimore or Gary on Conley, because they're both first round picks. They threw at Damon Webb, which does not says more about Conley and Lattimore and Denzel Ward than it says about Damon Webb. But anyway, Webb was in coverage more. Malik Hooker played center field. Malik Hooker played go get the ball when it's in the air, right? But the year before, Thomas Powell played that spot. And Tyus Powell had some good interceptions, but he wasn't crazy go-get-the-ball-in-the-air guy as much as Willie Cooker was, right? And Tyus Powell was a li- little bit of a bigger safety. Now, he had some range, too, I think. But anyway, I think Eric Smith, you could compare to Tyvis Powell, right, at that safety spot, that Eric Smith is not going to be the locked-up-in-coverage safety. But I think he could do that job, which sometimes has come up and stopped the run, if you're playing a running team, right, you got to come up in the box. The safety up in the box sometimes, that's going to be Tyvus Powell or Malik Hooker or Eric Smith. It's just Eric Smith's not going to run 40 yards while the ball is in the air and go take a ball off a Clemson receiver's hands in the end zone the way Malik Hooker did it because nobody in college football is going to do that the way Malik Hooker did it. So... I think if we compare Eric Smith to Malik Hooker, he's going to fall short because every player in the country would fall short. But I think Eric Smith can be a good player at that position because Tyvis Powell was a good player at that position. All right, That's a lot of safety talk for someone who doesn't know what he's taking. Welcome to Safety Talk. All right. I've got to go to the bathroom because I drank like 128 ounces of Diet Coke. Bill has to go to basketball interviews, and Ari literally is passing out. I'm, t- I'm trying my best. Literally passing out. So we usually try to keep this under an hour, and we never succeed at that. Um, but we're going to go under an hour this week. So listen, we were doing some stuff in the off season there because there was no stuff happening. Now we're in the stuff is happening mode. So we like to do topics. We like to do big picture stuff with our uh, Buckeye Talk podcast. But coming up now, we're going we're gonna to give you spring football breakdown stuff. We're going to write stories when we talk to these guys. We're going to talk to people by position group, both players and coaches. But then we're going to come on Buckeye Talk each week, and we're going to break down more of what these guys said, what we saw, what it meant. Okay, so it's going to get a little football-y here for the next couple weeks, and I think you guys will like that. So um, like we said, we get Kevin Wilson uh, and Greg Schiano. The two coordinators uh, on Thursday, we get JT Barrett, Billy Price, Taequann Lewis, and Chris Worley, who are the four anointed leaders and sure thing captains on these teams. Then we'll, after that, start getting them uh, by position group. Bill, before we go, though, you wrote this story and sort of asked this question on Tuesday of Urban Meyer. Just tell people, what, as we understand it, what is the situation with the titles for the assistant defensive coaches and you asked urban meyer sort of about Kerry combs and what what was that answer and how do you interpret it
2: yeah so when Kerry combs was rumored to be heading to cincinnati urban meyer came out on twitter and said that combs is coming back it'll have an expanded role coordinating the defense which i think most of us took as Kerry combs would get the co-coordinator title that luke fickle and greg Schiano had last year and it doesn't seem like that's going to happen shiano is the only one who has the coordinator title at the moment um, I guess that could change, but right now he's the only one who has it. So I asked, what does that mean for Colmes? Is he going to be a co-coordinator? Like, how Like, is that going to work? And basically what the answer was is that since Shiano has this coordinator title and Luke Fickle is not a co-coordinator now, Shiano will have more of a hand in putting together the front seven of the defense, which was what Fickle handled a lot of last year. Fickle handed the front end, Shiano handled the back end of the defense, and now it sounds like Shiano will have a hand in all of it, more of a hand on the front end, and Kerry Combs will have part of the responsibility courting the back end that Shiano had last year, if that makes sense.
1: And I think that might make a lot of sense, that when you had the co-coordinator titles, both Greg Shiano and Luke Fickle could coach their position groups, Luke Fickle at linebacker and Greg Shiano at safety, right? Mm -hmm. But then there was another assistant, Kerry Combs with the corners mostly, and Larry Johnson with the defensive line. So you had your group, and then you had your like part of the defense, the front seven or the back four. Um, And then you coordinated within that. It does make sense. It's like Greg Shiano was a head coach in the NFL. Let him design the defense and run the defense. And if that means he has less hands-on stuff in practice with the secondary, Kerry Combs um, then becomes more of the whole secondary coach, I think, than just the corners coach, that maybe he'll work more with the safeties then. They wanted to do that a little bit. They sort of... I think they need they need to have coordination between the safeties and the corners because they ask the safeties to cover like corners sometimes. It's really more of a one man group than trying to split that up. I think in the past sometimes they split it up too much. So like when Chris Ash got here, they made Chris Ash the secondary's coach, the secondary coach, and it wasn't just safeties or corners. Like he had authority over the whole back end, right? Mm -hmm. And it was almost like not really a demotion for Kerry Combs, but Chris Ash was in charge of the back end. Now I think Kerry Combs will have a little more responsibility on that back end while Greg Sciano takes the whole thing. So it'll just be, will he have that co. But again, I'd ask Kerry Combs about this at the Fiesta Bowl. You know, titles are nice. You know what's nicer than titles? A little cash. A little cash. He's, so he's due
2: for a new contract.
1: Too. We'll, we'll see oh. what kind of bump. You know, you might not have a coordinator title, but if you start making a little more, a little more like coordinator money, then everybody goes home happy. Yeah. All right, we're going to lock it down. We're going to try to get Ari healthy. We're going to get Bill to basketball interviews. We're going to get me to the urinal. I have to, go um, to the urinal, too. Don't. All right, it's going to be a three-man race to the <laughs> urinal. Um, Cleveland.com slash OSU. Read all our stuff there. bunch of stuff coming. Um, every week, Buckeye Talk drops usually on, almost always on Wednesday morning unless yeah. there's an act of God. Um, and Ari Wasserman <laughs> being cooped up in the back seat of this car was almost that. This is not good. Are you feeling better? You, Bill Landis. I
2: yeah, I feel pretty good. The combine took a lot out of all of us. Yeah, and Ari is is not in a good way right now. But anyway, thank you for I'm sorry, listening. I'm going to be
0: far more talkative on the next podcast. Well you just got to, you know, for a guy who doesn't shut up, it was actually pretty impressive.
1: <laughs> I feel like you blew it out on the intro, and then like you couldn't bounce back on that.
0: You don't overheat your engine. <laughs> Welcome to Buckeye, to, and then all of a sudden I'm I'm cashed
1: out. Um, all right, that's it for Bill Landis. You can follow him on Twitter, Bill Landis25. Ari Wasserman on Twitter at Ari Wasserman. And I'm Doug LaMaurice. You can figure out how to spell that and get me on Twitter. Uh, Thank you for listening. That was Buckeye Talk.